0: Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now as the God who speaks. You are there and you are not silent. You have revealed yourself to us in your written word and you have most fully disclosed your heart to us in the living word, your son Jesus. And we ask God that now as we turn to the words of your son Jesus that you would make us attentive to your voice and that you would mold and shape us to be your people in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So I want to begin by asking you a question. Have you ever had the experience of feeling hurt or maybe offended because somebody didn't invite you somewhere? Uh, Maybe you you felt like, we have that kind of relationship, and so I should have been invited, and why didn't they include me on the invitation? a while back, uh, some good friends of ours had a wedding, and, uh, and these friends were, from our perspective, I mean, we were pretty much like family. We were deep, you know, deeply connected to, to them and their lives, and uh, they had one of these two-fold kind of receptions, and you know these receptions where uh, there's the reception for the masses, you know, it's like the cake and punch thing, you know, and then there's the more intimate reception that's reserved for family members and close friends, and, um, and, and, you know, I, I think most of us realize that that's not a personal issue, right? It's an economic problem. And what's the problem of economics? Unlimited wants and limited resources. And sure, you'd like to invite everybody, but you can't. So uh, I'm going to invite everyone to the wedding, but, uh, and then to the little cake and punch reception, but, you know, to the, um, to the intimate reception, it's only going to be reserved for those family members and friends. And uh, on this particular occasion, uh, our friends had sent out an evite, like a save the date kind of invitation, and it, it made clear on that electronic invitation that there were two types of receptions, and um, my, my wife and I were, you know, we got this, we opened it, we're kind of, uh, you know, joking with each other as you do when you're at home. You know about you know kind of the setup and oh there's two tiers and uh, you know and we were joking together about what it might feel like for uh, the people who were invited to the real reception to leave, you know during the other reception and you know and people are going to notice you and then are we going to go out in stealth and and we were kind of like joking together about this and and it was like kind of a thing, and then um, we we went further down in the invitation and we opened up the, where the point where you had to RSVP and I saw that we were supposed to RSVP only for the cake and punch reception. And I'm a grown man <laughs> and I'm mature, but I felt really hurt. And I don't know if, if you can relate, you've had that moment where, where you're like, I didn't know we were, I thought we were closer than that. And you kind of feel left out and you feel very hurt. Now, the good news was is that when our friends discovered what had happened, they were like, oh, no, no, we, we really did intend to invite you to the real reception. <laughs> and I believed them. <laughs> but, you know, I think all of us wants to be included. All of us loves to be invited. And none of us wants to be excluded, Right. I mean, I think that that's a pretty fundamental human reality. And I think if you scratch below the surface of that desire, you find a need, like a deep human need, to know that you are loved and that you belong, that you are worthy of love, that you're worthy of belonging. And one of the things we look to in our society that's really a cue that we are worthy, that we belong, are those invitations. And that's why even if, even if you didn't want the job, you at least want them to offer you the job. You want to hear that you were wanted. And even if you didn't want a second date, you want them to ask you out because you want to say no. You want to know that you were wanted. And of course, nobody wants to be to look on social media and be like, oh my gosh, they're off you know, at the amusement park or they're having a sleepover. Why wasn't I included? It's incredibly painful and hurtful. And again, I think that below the surface, you find a lot of insecurities in all of our hearts, right? I mean, all of us wants to be affirmed, and we want to be loved, and and, and out of our insecurities, we can start to do stuff. We can start to exclude others. We can start to accuse others. And, And there's all kinds of weird things we do in order to deal with this deep insecurity coupled with this incredible need for belonging and love. Now, hold on to that because we're going to come back to it in a little bit. So, we began a series a few weeks ago entitled Stories Along the Way. And we're talking together about stories, these parables that Jesus told on the road from Galilee to Jerusalem. And so, he's here on the road to the cross, and he's only got a few weeks left with his disciples. And to our surprise, one of the most important things he leaves the disciples and us with in order to shape and mold us into his disciples is a collection of stories. There are these subversive, explosive, dynamite little parables that when you allow them to seep into your imagination, they can have the power to change how you see yourselves and God and the world. And so we've been walking through several of these parables, and today we're going to look at one more parable. This one deals really with this issue of belonging and our longing to be invited and included and how painful it is when we feel excluded. And uh, what what launches this parable is, um, you know, let's just put the scene like this. It's uh, Sabbath, and Jesus has gone to synagogue, as you do, And as you do after synagogue, Jesus is invited to lunch with some Pharisees. And on this occasion, it's not just one of the Pharisees. It is a ruler among the Pharisees. Now, in the ancient world, uh, who you ate with, uh, what house you got invited into, who you sat next to at the dinner table, it meant everything. I mean, in our culture, we have status symbols, uh, if you drive this car or you graduated from that Ivy League school or you work in this profession, you are proud to display that because people are impressed with you and in this ancient world, if you were invited to the right house and you sat at the right table and you were at the right with the right people, you would put that on display because people would be impressed with you because of the people you were with and so on this occasion, Jesus is invited to be at lunch with a ruler among the Pharisees. And in our imagination, it is a well-to-do house, as it would be with a Pharisee uh, of this stature. And they have a large table. And Jesus is sitting now at table with his disciple, or with his Pharisees, with his Pharisees, with the Pharisees. And what we quickly discover is that the Pharisees have an agenda. Look at what it says in the text. One Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, and they were watching him carefully. They are watching Jesus like a hawk. Why? Well, because Jesus is an uncredentialed itinerant rabbi and he's been doing stuff that violates what they think he ought to be doing. Somebody of his religious stature shouldn't be eating with those people and going to those places and doing that on Sabbath. And so they invite him to the table to watch him closely to see if he's going to break one of their rules. And of course, Jesus doesn't disappoint them. It says, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, uh, we imagine maybe Jesus is eating and uh, sometime between the soup and the bread and right before they bring out the roast, uninvited and unannounced, a guy walks in with what it says is dropsy, which is kind of an antique name of describing, I think it's the medical term is edema or edema. And it's, it's a retention of water in the joints where you swell, and it is incredibly, it's excruciatingly painful. And so this guy, here's Jesus, is in town. He goes in unannounced, uninvited, just waltzes into this big party, and the Pharisees are like, oh, I, he wants to be healed, and it's Sabbath, and what is Jesus going to do? And uh, so Jesus looks at them, and he knows what they're thinking. And he says, "Uh, let me ask you a question. Um, Is it okay if I heal this guy on the Sabbath? Pharisees, you know, you're religious experts. Is it okay if this guy gets healed on the Sabbath? Now, they sense that they're being baited, and so they don't answer. They remain silent. And then Jesus took him and healed him. And he sent him away. And then he looks over at the Pharisees, and he says this. He says, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Jesus exposes the silliness of their Sabbath policing by inviting them into the world of basic human decency. If your ox was in pain on the Sabbath, you would reach out and do something for him. And if you would do that for your ox or for your cat, how much more for somebody on the Sabbath, for a human person who's created in the image of God, who's living in this excruciating pain. But they're still thinking, they're like, but you know, you have six days to heal. You know, this guy's been hurting. He's been in this pain for a long time. Surely he can sit through it for another 24 hours. But Jesus does not agree. He stands up. He heals the guy. And they could not reply to these things. Now, at this point, around the table, it's starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable. And so Jesus takes this uncomfortable situation and he pushes things a little bit further, and he says, let's make this a little bit more uncomfortable for you all. And he, he, he in essence, says, look, you've been closely watching me and what I'm doing, but I've also been closely watching you. You know, it's easy sometimes for people who are very religious, who are very obsessive about other people's behavior and their rule-breaking, to think that they are the only ones watching and noticing. But listen, there's a lot of us who are watching and noticing too. And oftentimes, the person who is obsessing over the speck in their neighbor's eye has a log in their own, and they don't have the self-awareness to know. So what does Jesus do? Well, he tells a joke, and they're the punchline. (laughs) Actually, he tells a parable. Uh, He notices, because he notices that around them, uh, the people are jockeying for position. Remember, one of the ways you would gain, you would enhance, and you would put on display your status before other people is where you sat at the table. So all of these religious elites, they want to be in the best place so that they can get the most recognition. And so they're vying, putting themselves forward, and trying to get as close to the host as possible, being the most prominent place as possible. And Jesus notices this, and he says this. Uh, he, he noticed how they, were, they, chose, they chose the places of honor, and he said to them, he says, you know, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast... Do not sit in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, look, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lower place. He says, instead, when you're invited, go and sit in the lower place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher and then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So he invites us to imagine a scenario, and what I picture in my mind, it's kind of like slow motion. This guy shows up at the wedding feast, and he's kind of like walking over to a spot at the table, and he selects like the best spot, and he's feeling all good about himself, and he's eating his meal at this and then all of a sudden, there's a tap on his shoulder, and he looks back, and then the guy's like, he's like, and he gets up, and he has to move. And what happened? Well, he started in a place of honor, feeling good, and he was brought to a place of shame, and he feels stupid. I can remember uh, years ago when I was 16 years old. Uh, I had just gotten my driver's license. My mom let me drive her brand new black Nissan Maxima to church. And we used to go out to this Monday night Bible study with Greg Laurie. And all of our friends were there, all like the cool kids, went out to this uh, Bible study. And I remember pulling into the parking lot and seeing some of like the hip, cool friends of mine over there, you know, and I'm driving. And I see them over there and I, I just wave at them like this, and I'm driving and I'm feeling all good, feeling honor, and then I look forward and there's a car right there, and I just slam, I rear-ended the car. I began with honor and I ended with shame. And Jesus says, the one who exalts themselves will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, don't misunderstand, Jesus on this occasion is not simply giving some tips on how to make sure you don't embarrass yourself at the party. Now, surely Jesus cares whether or not you embarrass yourself at the party. Don't do that. But I think Jesus is doing something more because Luke tells us that this is actually a parable. And the parables are intended to reveal something, disclose something to us about the nature of Jesus and his kingdom. And what is this intending to show us? Well, Jesus is showing us on this occasion that he came to inaugurate a kingdom in the midst of this old kingdom of darkness. In this old kingdom, we're vying for position. We're wanting to grab onto our, the, the college we got accepted into and the job we have and the car we drive and the kitchen we have, the person we date or whatever, to put that on display and to feel good about ourselves. And Jesus just says, that is ridiculous. Stop it. The one who exalts themselves, who puts themselves on display, will be humbled. But in my kingdom, it's the person who jettisons all of that, who makes himself nothing, who takes on the form of a servant, who willingly embraces the form of death, even the death of crucifixion, which was reserved for the dregs of society. That person will be exalted to the right hand of the Father. Well, Jesus, at this point, he has insulted the Pharisees He's insulted all the invitees, and I just imagine him looking around and thinking, did I forget anyone? He's like, oh yeah, the guy who invited me. And he said to the man who invited him, and when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But instead, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, it looks like Jesus is telling the host, look, don't ever invite your friends over for a party. Instead, invite strangers and the poor and such. Jesus isn't exactly saying that. Jesus himself, uh, in a few weeks, is going to throw a dinner party on Passover with his friends After the resurrection, Jesus is going to cook some fish and create another little lunch and dinner party with his friends. Jesus is not down on cooking a good meal and eating it with your friends. Jesus is doing something else with this word. Jesus is confronting a cultural practice Now, to understand what Jesus is doing, you kind of got to understand the cultural reality. So in the ancient world, you know, we talked about how people at the party would use where they sat and who they sat next to to gain status and rank and all of that. Well, the other person who would use a dinner party, would use hospitality, would be the host. And what the host would do would throw a party And he would want to invite as high-status people as he could to the party so that he would obligate them to return the favor and invite him to their party and so increase everyone's status, reinforcing kind of their social standing in the world. So basically, you use dinner parties to gain, to solidify, and to publicize your status in society. In the ancient world, there was no such thing as a free lunch you had an agenda, and you were using your resources in order to enhance your status. And, uh, there, it was in, and so what this man is doing, by inviting these people over, it was his way of saying to everyone around, in the words of Anchorman, I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> people know me. I'm very important. I have many leather bound books and my home is filled with wealthy, important, well-to-do religious people. I have rich neighbors and friends. Pat me on the back, tell me how important and awesome I am. So Jesus is exposing all of that and Jesus says as far as he's concerned, that way of doing business is over. It is dead. That kingdom is passing away and note well, Even the religious leaders, as upright and moral as they were, participated in those same games and were part of the same kingdom of darkness that was passing away. And Jesus says, in your midst, a new kingdom is breaking in. And this is a kingdom that is marked preeminently by the hospitable, by the generous love of God to everyone. And God has no interest in status symbols, God is not impressed by your degrees, by your job, by your resume, by the school you got into. God is not impressed by all of that. God loves you as you are as human persons who are created in his image. And Jesus is saying, when you give feasts, make sure that you recognize, use your resources in ways that recognize the value of all human beings. In other words, don't exclude people. Don't leave people out. Try to create inclusive communities. So Jesus, in short order, has offended the Pharisees and then all of the invitees and now the uh, host of the party. And now everyone around the table is feeling very awkward. They've all gone quiet You can hear the clank of the wooden spoons against the stone bowls, and we're all just sitting there awkwardly. And there's always one jovial guy at the table who wants to kind of break the ice, change the subject, move things in a more positive direction, and that guy speaks up. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said, well, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Let's just change the subject. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really know about all this business of inviting the poor and the lame and the blind and at, to the dinner table, but let's talk about something we can all agree on. Heaven's going to be wonderful, isn't it? And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to change the conversation. And he tells another story. And he says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. I love Jesus. Don't you just love, like, the audacity, the chutzpah, like, being invited in the ruler, like, 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 he's just like, I'm just going to offend everyone. He said, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. In the ancient world, they would send out invitations in two parts. There would be the initial notice, kind of a save the date, and then it would be followed up when everything was ready. We'll let you know. And now uh, they've sent out the RSVPs. People have come back. We're coming. Can't wait. Bring in a, the whole family. Love you, etc. <laughs> and now the parties come. But all of a sudden, the people that initially responded yes to the invite all of a sudden seemed like they have more important things to do. And they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, oh, I'm sorry, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, well, I've bought five yoke of oxen. Uh, Let me go and examine it. And the first thing we notice is that these are invitees of great means, they're doing real estate deals. They're buying fields and selling it. They've got to go inspect it. Now, why couldn't you just wait till after the party to inspect it? We don't know. And he doesn't just have one. He's got five oxen, which would mean at least 100 acres, which meant a lot of money, a lot of land, a lot of power. These are high money, high power, important people, and they just can't come. And, uh, and another said, I've married a wife And therefore, I can't come. Well, just bring her with you. I mean, come on. She can come. And so the servant came and reported all these things to his master. So the master's been shamed. This is an honor-shame culture. And the people who have all the most, who are most important, have shamed him. And interestingly, in response, he willfully and intentionally chooses to increase the shame who would have already been experiencing in that ancient world by inviting the least of these. Look at what it says next. The master of the house became angry, and he said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And then the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done. And and you get the picture now, uh, these people Who woke up that morning, they thought it was gonna be another day where they didn't know whether or not they'd have enough food to eat in their belly, whether or not they'd be shamed again. And now they are at a party having the time of their life. They have been brought in and included in a way that they never had been included before. But there's still room. And so the master said to the servant, "Well, will go out into the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. This is a generous, large-hearted host. And he's got a lot of room in his house. This host has infinite space in his house and in his life and he is not at all worried about the kind of people he's going to associate with. Anyone can come to this party. This host is incredibly indiscriminate. Doesn't he have any taste? Doesn't he care about the kind of people that are going to walk into his backyard? Like, come on, not them, you know? No, he says, bring them all in. Compel them to come in. I've got room in my house, and I want it filled. But, he says, those men who were invited that rejected my invitation, they shall not taste of my banquet. And the story ends. Now, the meaning of the parable, of course, is clear. God in the story is the host who has infinite room in his own heart and within the life of God for all of us. God is the host who wants everyone to come to the party. And the invitations have gone out. Through the ministry of Jesus, he is inviting people all the time to come, to repent, to turn, to orient their lives around him, to come and be at his table, to follow him, to orient their life around him and to be a part of his kingdom. But he is getting rejection after rejection. And get this, the rejection notices are coming from the oddest of places, they're coming from the most religious people around. They don't want to be in on this party. And you get the sense they don't want to come in on this party because they want to be at the kind of party that the Pharisee is throwing. They want to be at the party where they can view themselves as being better and more important than other people. But Jesus is creating a table where everyone has to sit at the same table. The tax gatherers have to sit down with the Pharisees. And they're like, no, that table is too, I don't, no, I've got other things to do. I've got oxen to attend to. I've got a field to go, I've just got married. I don't, I don't want to be in that inclusive of a community. So what is Jesus teaching us in this story? I want to suggest Jesus is teaching us simply this. God is throwing a party. You know, in the, in the Old Testament prophets, one of the most common metaphors and analogies that's used to describe the future in breaking, saving, healing kingdom of God, one of the most frequent and common pictures that's used is of a party. In Isaiah 25, it says, The Lord of hosts is throwing a party. It is a rich party with well aged wine and the best meats. I think they're going to be grilled. Some are going to be slow cooked. Of course, the steak is going to have chimichurri on it. And there's going to be, you know, salads and probably potatoes and rice and Korean barbecue. I don't know. Like all kinds of stuff. Like barbacoa. Like we're getting, like it's a feast. And what an arresting picture of what the creator of all things is doing in his world, of where he is taking his world. You know, when you think about God, you think of of God, of course, he is the infinite and eternal one. He is the commander of angels' armies. He is holy, holy, holy. And before his face, the, the, the angelic, creatures, the the brilliant seraphim, do not cease crying out holy. God is holy, but God is also the great one who throws the party. And get this, God is throwing a party. He is creating space for joy and celebration. He's forming community. He wants us to dance, and to sing, and to eat, and to converse, and do all the things you do, it like envisioning the, the future of humanity when we are whole. There is a whole new kind of party God is throwing. God is throwing a party, and get this, everyone is invited, and nobody is excluded, Everyone is invited, and nobody is excluded. The Republicans are invited, and the Democrats are invited. The red staters, the blue staters, they're all invited. Uh, Black people, and brown people, and white people, and and Asian people, and Native American people, and and Latino people, and and all all kinds of people from every ethnicity, and every tribe, and, and background, and, and there are people from broken homes that are invited and people from whole homes that are invited and, and people who have a past are invited and people who are addicted are invited and gay people are invited and straight people are invited and trans people are invited. And there is a big, wide invite to everybody because God is indiscriminate in his love. God is indiscriminate in his love. There is a wideness to God's mercy. The hymn puts it like this. There is a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in God's justice which is more than liberty. There is welcome for the sinner and more graces for the good. There is mercy with the Savior. There is healing in his blood but we make God's love too narrow by false limits of our own. We magnify its strictness with a zeal God will not own. For the love of God is broader than the measure of the mind and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. You say, well, Aren't there, aren't there some people that are excluded from the invitation? No, there is not. Nobody is excluded from the invitation. God is not willing that any human being who's created in his image would perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There is a wideness to God's mercy. You say, well, what, what, like, what about a limit, the only limit is the limit the guests place on themselves. If you refuse to come, if the thing you are holding on to, your five oxen are too important, if that field you need to buy and sell with so that you can gain your reputation and identity, if maybe your distorted and dehumanizing use of sex or money or power is too much for you to let go of, if if you need those pills and you need that alcohol and you need that religious reputation and you need to be right, then yeah, you can refuse the invitation. But make no mistake, God is not closing the door on you. The door is open. The mercy of God is wide. And and god says come jesus says come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest no one is excluded and listen friends you are invited and some of you came to church this morning to hear this listen some of you you you've maybe you were invited to church by a friend and you know they've asked you a lot and finally you said yes and you have come and you've started to come and you're you're interested and something is holding you back you have your excuses i'm not ready i don't know if i can let go of this i, I don't what is it going to mean for my life and what about my family and what about i don't what, what what like i've got excuses and jesus says drop the excuses and come to the party Infinite love, infinite joy, infinite belonging, acceptance. What you were made for is available to you. If you will just come and receive. I thought about this today. I wanted to get saved all over again. (laughs) Like, this is too good of news. And it's true, it's absolutely true. You have not run too far. You have not screwed up your life too much. You have not made decisions. You have not taken yourself to a place that puts you outside of the invitation. When it comes to the grace and mercy of God, all you need is need. Did you bring need in here today? Then the grace of God is for you. It is for you. Come and receive. You're invited. Come and and join the party. And in your own life, start giving little foretastes of that feast and that party to come by expanding your own heart and your life for the stories, the experiences, the heartaches of other people. People who are not like you, who don't look like you, who don't vote like you, who haven't had the same upbringing as you, who don't have the same uh, ethnic or racial background as you, open up your life and your table and welcome people in because God loves people. Join the party. I love this piece of artwork. The one whose hands are open are nail scarred the one who is breaking bread and welcoming all this diverse array of people to his table. It's the crucified and risen one. And Jesus invites you and me to come to his table. You know, we're gonna close our service together by getting up out of our seats and coming to this table. The beauty of this moment Listen, I opened our sermon today by talking about our own need to know that we are worthy of love and belonging. And you, you know as well as I do, like sometimes like you wanted that car you want to get into that school and then tell people you got into that school. You want to have these, this set of friends. You want to be able to, because deep down inside, you are deeply insecure. And you don't know whether or not you're worthy of love and belonging. And so you walk around with these insecurities. All of us are insecure, and those insecurities surface in so many different ways and then they, they surface in us needing to display and show off and, or they, they, they surface in us cowering away and thinking, oh, we're worthless and we're not as good as them and we didn't go to that school, we don't have that job. And Jesus says that whole way of analyzing the situation, it's over. Jesus has inaugurated a new kingdom in this world. And in this kingdom, The ground at the foot of the cross is flat. We are all on level playing. We are all welcome. So we're going to invite you to come forward and you're going to receive this bread and this cup and I just want you to imagine yourself as you come forward just as coming as a person in need to the Table that Jesus has invited you to, a table of grace and love and forgiveness. And maybe you're here and you've not yet entrusted your own life to Jesus. Listen, trust your life to Jesus. You can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus with your life, you can trust Jesus with your past. You can trust Jesus with your future. You can trust Jesus with your failures. You can trust Jesus with your body. You can trust Jesus with your loneliness. You can trust Jesus with your sexuality. You can trust in Jesus. And so as we come forward and you receive these elements, let it be your open hand saying, whether you're new to Christianity or you've been here in this thing for a long time, I open my life to you, Lord Jesus, and I entrust myself to you again I receive your love, and I come to this table. So, a word of instruction. The ladies in the back are gonna release you from the back to come forward. We'll invite you to come down the center aisle and then receive the bread, receive the cup. Our servers can come up. And um, we'll speak the words over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And we'd invite you to receive those elements. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you don't, this feels uncomfortable for you, feel free to stay in your seat or when you come forward, you can just kind of walk by and we're just glad you're here. We, there's no judgment here. We've all, we've all been where you're at. Um, but we're going to invite you to come forward and to receive these elements. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that though in our insecurities and in our fears, we have turned to idols that have been destructive and unhelpful to us, we have looked to other things other than your love to find our most true identity. We thank you that you did not leave us to ourselves but that you so love this world that you sent your son Jesus into this world to bear our sin to do battle with darkness and to rise victorious from the grave. And we thank you Lord Jesus that on the night before you were crucified you took bread and you broke it and you said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. And after the cup you after after the bread you took the cup and you said drink from it All of you, this is my blood which is shed for the remission of sins. We now come to this table, recipients of your free grace and love. Friends, come to this table, you who have faith and you who would like to have more. You who have been to the sacrament often and you who have not been for a long time. You who have tried to follow Jesus And you who have failed, come. It is the risen Christ who invites us to meet him here.